All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the well here at STSA. Let me be the 600th person to say happy Mother's Day to you, and hopefully those 600 Mother's Day will alleviate all the ones that we've forgotten over the past 500 times we were supposed to say them. So happy Mother's Day to everybody. Hope you all are have a fantastic day. We are in the middle of a series here. We're at the tail end of a, seri a series called The Kind That Breaks, where, as Karen mentioned, we're talking about kindness, and we're going through this 30-day challenge together. And I hope that, that we're all still going strong. I know it gets kind of harder as the challenge goes along. What we said is for 30 days, and we got one week left, for 30 days, we would choose one person, and we would practice being kind to them, unconditional kindness. And that means three specific things. Number one, we wouldn't say or think anything negative about the person or to the person. Okay, which I, in my opinion, I think it was the hardest one to not complain or not vent or anything like that. Number two, we said we would practice positivity. Instead of complaining about them, we will praise them and we will say positive things about them behind their back and to their face. And then number three, as we talked about last week, we would try to do one act of kindness, not random. Okay, random acts of kindness are great, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about intentional kindness because it's the intentional kindness that is the kind that breaks. And it's the kind that changes the world because it changes relationships. I've heard some fantastic stories. And as I mentioned last week, next week in the finale of the series, I'll be sharing some of those stories. And I'll invite you, if you have a really cool story, even if it's not something you know magnificent or earth shattering, but hey, if it's a cool story to you about what you've seen through this kindness challenge, I invite you to share it with me. You can come talk to me. You can email me. If you want to do it anonymously, you can go to stsa.church slash kindness. That's stsa.church slash kindness. And you could submit your story. And if it's good enough, or if it's good enough, okay, I'll share. If it's good, I'll share it next week. I don't mean good enough in that way, but I'm saying if it's, if it's share worthy, I might share it next week and I can change the names or whatever it may be. But here's what we're going to talk about today, because this is my last kind of full message because next week I'm going to share stories. What I want to talk about today is not so much the kindness challenge, but a kindness lifestyle. And hopefully you're at the point in the challenge where you kind of got, a, you got the hang of the three challenges, the no negative, the no eye roll, the no venting, the no complaining, the no, uh, okay. The none of that stuff, the say something positive, find something positive to say every day and small act of kindness. What we want to talk about today is how to turn the challenge into a lifestyle and how to turn what I did for the 30 days or 30 days coming soon into hopefully something beyond that, okay? And that's something that I personally saw is that I started to do this kindness challenge. Me and Marianne, we split the kids. We said, you do it with this one, I do it with this one. But what we quickly saw is that it's very difficult to be kind just to one person, especially with the other one watching, okay? Because that would create more damage. So our kindness challenge got doubled. Okay, and then once you're kind of in the mood of like looking for, that was exasperation, that was negativity, it became a lot harder to do the same thing with other people as well. And that's the kind of the point of it. The point of it is to turn it into a long-term thing. So in order to turn daily kindness, 30-day kindness into long-term kindness, there's one quality that I wanna talk about today, which you may not see the connection with kindness, but just stick with me on this one. Because I believe that this particular quality, this particular trait, is the most important quality when it comes to the both the quality and quantity of relationships in the long term. That this particular quality I'm going to talk about today is the number one factor that determines the quantity and quality of your relationships in the long term. 
And I also think it's perfect for Mother's Day. Because you sit here and you say Mother's Day and mothers do everything. You could you could give a thousand sermons. Like Mother's Day is the easiest day to preach a sermon and say thank you to the moms. Because you could just say whatever you want. And you just, anything moms, everyone loves a mom. And no one cannot love a mom's sermon. But let me tell you the best thing about moms. Yeah, they love us. Yeah, 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 they love us. And they care for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there, done that. And they nurture us and they feed us. And they, yeah, 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 yeah. We all know all that stuff. But I read a nice quote that I'm, I changed some of the words in the quote to kind of uh, be more concise. But I read this nice quote to talk about one person thanking their mom for something that I wanted to share because it's going to lead into what I'm going to talk about here today. And it said this. It said, Mother's Day is traditionally the day when we give something back to our mothers for all the old gum they held in their hands, all the noses they wiped with their fingers, and all the bloody knees they made well with their kisses. It's the day mothers are rewarded for cleaning up our mess when we promised we would for driving us to school when we missed the bus and enduring all those boring football and soccer games in the rain. But most of all, it's a day of appreciation for not throwing us out of the house when we said, no, I don't want to, and why should I? The staples of every child. No, why should I, and I don't want to. It's a day to celebrate the many times that I haven't said sorry or even knew I needed to, but you forgave me anyway. It's a day to say thank you for not believing me when I said, I hate you. So thank you, mom, for loving me, even though I, I haven't always been all that lovable. What we're gonna talk about today is forgiveness. And all the things that our moms do for us, that's fantastic. But the thing that allows us to say we love you to our moms today and them still listening is their forgiveness. And like I said, we're, talk, we're talking about kindness. What does kindness have to do with forgiving? Kindness is one of those things. At the beginning of this series especially, if I said, who's a kind person? If I said, who's an unkind person? No one would have raised their hand. I never met anybody who classified themselves as unkind. It's easy to see that person, that person. No one classified themselves as unkind because we're kind to the people we love. We're kind to our children most of the time. We're kind to our neighbors, the one we likes. We're kind to our coworkers, the ones that help us out. But everyone has someone. There's someone that doesn't get our kindness, that they get much unkindness. And that's what I'm talking about today. Because it's easy to be kind to the people who are kind to you. But what we define kindness in the beginning, it is unconditional. Kindness, as I said in week one, it's being good when they're bad. Well, I want to focus specifically on that when they're bad part today. And I want to say that the key to long-term kindness, the key to long-term quality in your relationship, both with man and with God, as we're going to see, is the ability to forgive. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. He set the bar of forgiveness, or I'm sorry, set the importance of forgiveness very high when he said the following. He said, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you. So he just right there, one statement, and he said forgiveness more important than anything else. Because when all is said and done in this world, all of us are gonna stand before God and we want to say, Lord, forgive me. And we want to hear you are forgiven. And Jesus said all of that, comes down to your ability to forgive one another. Because if you have no ability to forgive one another, you will not be forgiven. And if you do forgive one another, you will be forgiven. So Jesus right off the bat said, hey, this is an important topic. And that's why we're gonna dig into it here today. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, that forgiveness right here, as we see in this verse right here up on the screen, is super duper important for your spiritual health. But I wanna go beyond that. And I wanna say, did you know, 
that there is a silent killer dwelling in this room right now. There's a silent killer. Okay, Karen was talking about how she's waking from home. She was worried about bad guys. In your home, there's a bad guy who lives in there, in your home. And there's a bad guy who's always walking up and down the street and he's eyeing your home. And he's seeing where there's a, an opening where he can sneak in. And he doesn't want to just steal your stuff. He wants to kill you and destroy you and destroy everybody around you and destroy your eternity. And that silent killer, give him whatever name you want, is unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, grudges. That silent killer wants to destroy your life and he is always looking for a way in. You know what bitterness and unforgiveness, I'm gonna use these terms interchangeably. It all means the same, you call it what you want. Okay, you justify it by whatever term you want. I'm talking, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like the termites. You ever have termites in your house? Do you have termites in your house? You don't know until it's too late. That's what termites do. They may be there and they're eating away, eating away. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I think I got a termite. And that's when the whole house comes falling down. Because by the time you discover it, it's too late. And that's the same thing with bitterness and resentment. By the time you realize that you're holding on to that grudge, it will have destroyed whatever relationship it's involved. And it may have destroyed even more. I often meet people who can't get along with someone, whether it's marriage, whether it's sibling, whether it's parents, whether it's friend, whatever it may be. And oftentimes it's like, what's the issue? And the issue is nonsense. Like the issue is something ridiculous, is nonsense. And that's when I realized that there's something underneath it. There's something below the surface. Okay, why this house won't stand up? There must be something that's unseen that keeps knocking it down. And what it is that keeps knocking it down is bitterness, is resentment is grudge, is unforgiveness. Just this past week, I had an example. It's, okay, someone came, you know who's sitting here, but someone from another church, but friends of mine, and, and it's, a, it's a couple, okay? And they've been married 16 years. 16 years, 16 years is a long time. And, you know, they're struggling, whatever, and one, both are talking about, you know, separating and who knows what not. Or, and we're sitting there and we're talking and we're trying to work through stuff and... and, and and then they came back to me this past week. I talked with them a while ago. And, and then they came back to me this past week. And one of them, one of them had a breakthrough. One of them had a major breakthrough. And she told me, I realized that I haven't forgiven him. And then she said something he did early on in their marriage. I haven't forgiven him. And his complaint was, she's not kind. And she's not, and she's not, and she's not. And she justified whatever. And then she came to a realization that she hadn't forgiven him for something that he did probably 12, 13 years ago. And because she hadn't forgiven him, this is her words, not mine. She said that she was a slave. She was a slave to her bitterness. And in every conversation and in every interaction, that termite never stuck his head up over ground, but that termite was there. And she was a little bit closed and she was a little bit rough. And she knew how to make sure that, you know, she didn't do anything wrong. She would buy the, buy the, buy the book, she was fine. But every interaction, and then she told me when she realized that, she said, a weight has been lifted. She said, I found freedom. She was speaking to me like somebody who had been in prison for 20 years, who finally found freedom. And I'm not telling you this couple, they got a lot of issues to work out. But what I'm saying is now after that, they got a chance. They had no chance before that. They had zero chance. And I could see it in the discussion. There was no chance because there was a wall and there was no penetrating that wall. And I'm saying now they got a lot of stuff to work out, but they got a shot because the wall has been removed. The forgiveness has been, has been there. My question to you, is there any chance that you're building a wall in, and then you fill in the blank, in your marriage? It's the easy one. 
any chance you're building a wall with that friend that you kind of got annoyed at and you kind of said, oh, it's not that big a deal, but it's kind of a big deal because you think about it a lot. Any chance you're building a wall with a sibling, a father, a mother, holding on to a grudge? In my line of work, I've heard, and I'm not trying to make light of this, but I'm just being honest. I've heard abuse, physical, emotional, sexual abuse. I've heard stealing money of two brothers and he stole money. We went into business and he stole money and ripped me off. I've heard of, of, of adultery and infidelity. And my response to all those, after I hear all the story, my response to all of them is the exact same. You have to forgive. And I say that, this is the important part. I say that not for the sake of the person who offended you, I say that for the sake of the person who has been offended. You have to forgive. Not for their sake, but for your sake. Ephesians chapter four, verse 31. Let's go through some biblical verses and explain what forgiveness means. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So you see, he makes the link there between being kind and forgiving. Here's the key when it comes to forgiveness. I just said that example of all those horrible things. And you said, how can someone forgive some, like how can they let that person get away? And how can I forgive? And how can I, and how can I? I say, hold your horses, man. I say, maybe you don't understand what the word forgive means. Let's go back to moms. See, oftentimes we think in order to forgive, I have to forget. In order to forgive, I have to forget. We've all seen that picture of Jesus, when I forgive, I forget. And that picture messes us up, okay? Because we think, well, I can't forget what so-and-so, I can't forget the abuse, I can't forget he abandoned me, I can't forget she cheated on me, I can't forget that. Who told you you have to forget? Back to moms. Moms are a great example of forgiveness. Do moms forget anything? Like moms remember stuff that didn't even happen. You don't go to your mom and say, and she say, oh, you're right. You did cry as a child. That's right, I forgot that. That's right, you did poop your pants a couple times there. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you were little, right? Yeah. Moms don't forget a thing. But what makes them great is not that they forget our sins, but that they forgive our sins. And who said forgiving and forgetting are the same? In fact, I would say the opposite. I think that forgetting lessens forgiveness. If I don't remember what you did, what am I forgiving? Oh, how great is that? Like, what's the big deal? Like, I forget things all the time. That doesn't make me a forgiving person. It just means I have a bad memory. I don't care. That doesn't make me forgiving. And what makes God forgiving is not that he forgets our sins, but in fact, the opposite, that he remembers them and says, I choose to forgive you. And that's the challenge for us as well. Get rid of this idea that forgiving and forgetting are the same thing, because some things are simply impossible to forget. Year was 1983. A young father, Anthony, was tearing up second grade, ripping my way through uh, mathematics, adding, subtracting, kicking butt, playing uh, kickball on, the, on the, the recess, and, and preparing to learn how to tie my shoes. Like, I was the man in second grade. I had the world at my fingertips. Until a case of mistaken identity, where I was falsely accused of a crime I did not commit, and sentenced, tried and sentenced, but without having a fair shake. Sister Ann Hughes, my second grade teacher, I remember it like it was yesterday. This boy named Matthew Somerville did something naughty. Me, 
good Father Anthony, I'm the priest to be, all I did was look over and smile. It was funny what he did. He made some kind of noise or something, like it was funny. Sister Ann didn't have, didn't believe in due process, okay? Sister Ann grabbed me by this ear, and I still think to this day this ear is longer than this one for that reason. And she grabbed me by this ear, and she lifted me up, and I was accused and sentenced for a crime I did not commit. You expect me to forget that? Like, I'd be lucky if I go a month without looking her up on Google or Facebook, see what she's up to these days. Some things can't be forgotten. And in fact, let me go a step further. And I say that some of you, in your effort to try to forget something, are actually only making the memory more engraved. Like, Try to forget something, right? Try not to think about, like, try not to think about ice cream. Don't think about ice cream. Don't think about ice cream. Like, try to, the more you try to forget something, the more you actually engrave it in your mind. So forget about this idea of forgetting. What we need to do is work on forgiving. St. Paul says it this way. It's the same thing, same, it's very similar to the other passage, but just said in a slightly different way. He says, as elective God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness. Again, kindness is linked with forgiving. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. Where in there does he say forget it? Where does he say in there, not a big deal. Someone sinned against you, not a big deal. Don't worry about it. What do you make a big deal for? Where does he, I don't see any of that. I see he say people sinned against you, mercy, long-suffering, kindness, like go out of your way to forgive it and not try to brush it away. So that's what we're gonna talk about here today. And before I get into the meat, let me tell you my prayer for today. I truly believe, like there are some people here today who don't need to talk about forgiveness, who you let go, you don't have grudges, like more power to you, more power to you, that's fantastic. But I see a lot, a lot, a lot of people who struggle with this. A lot of people are holding on to stuff that they may not even realize. A mom, a dad, what they did when I was younger. A spouse that messed up early in marriage and I'm just holding it over them. That this person who betrayed me or lied to me or hurt me or, or, or did this to me. And I see a lot of that stuff. And I'm telling you, as your friend, as someone who loves you and has no interest other than your best interest, that's hurting you. That's causing you to behave in ways that you don't realize. That's a termite in your house that is affecting you and just because you can't see it. Everyone around you can see it. Your kids can see it. Your coworkers can see it and they don't know the root of it and they don't know what's causing it and they don't know where it came from. All they know is you're not a kind person to be around sometimes. That you're kind of an angry person at times and you're difficult at times and you have the perfect explanation because so-and-so did, but nobody knows that. All they know is, it's not fun to be around you and it's affecting you. So my prayer for today is that today would be a breakthrough for some people. Listen carefully, not a breakthrough that it's all resolved. I'm not gonna resolve anything in the next 20, 30 minutes, but at least that you would have a strategy because I'm gonna talk very practical about a strategy and you would be empowered with tools that you need a plan to be able to get past what it is that's holding you down in this life. That's our goal for today. Let's take a step back. I mentioned the word anger a little bit ago. All unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment comes from anger. Okay, and we can kind of group all that whatever. You, what, I'm using general terms. You call it whatever it is that you want. It comes down to being angry. Let me ask you a question. Is it okay to be angry? Is it okay to be hurt? 
Is it okay to be disappointed? Is it okay to, to get upset? Does God ever get angry? On the surface, you'd say he's God. He never gets angry, but okay, let's, let's look at some verses. All right, I got a verse here from the Old Testament, Exodus 32, verse nine and 10. The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and indeed it is stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them. I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Saying these people drive me bonkers. That looks like anger. Okay, but maybe that's just like a, a one, maybe it's a typo. Let's go to more verses. Numbers 32, verse 13. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. That's strike two for anger. Okay, they say, that's Old Testament. Jesus never got angry, did he? Jesus would never get angry. Jesus was so kind, Jesus never got angry, right? John chapter two, one time he went into the temple and he wasn't happy. He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, that sounds fun, he drove them all out of the temple and poured out the money, the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Does God ever get angry? Yeah. Did Jesus get ever get angry? Yeah. But Jesus is so kind. Who said anger is against kindness? Again, this is our misunderstanding. You think when I say forgive, it means you don't have a right to be angry. No, Jesus had a right to be angry and he got angry. And in fact, many times that we see that God gets angry, he gets angry when someone hurts a child, makes God very angry. He gets, he, gets, he gets angry when someone misrepresents his name. He gets angry when someone takes someone who's innocent and takes away their innocence. Yeah, he gets angry. There's nothing wrong with saying angry, but his anger is different than ours. And this is the key point here for today. You gotta get this point. So follow me on this one. The difference between God's anger and our anger is what? I say it this way. There's a difference between inside anger and outside anger. Inside anger is not the same as outside anger, but is just as dangerous if left unaddressed. We think of anger in an outside way, you know, and, and, and yelling and screaming and fighting and throwing and, and, and anger. But the real dangerous anger, in my opinion, is not the outside anger. It's the inside anger. It's the, I'm angry at you on the inside, but I, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, we should next week, yeah, hopefully, yeah. yeah. That's the dangerous anger. The outside anger that says, hey, why you did this? This upset me. That's not a dangerous anger. That's a good anger. That's what Jesus did. Y'all shouldn't be doing this in the house of God. That's a good anger. You know, that's injustice. That's wrong. Y'all shouldn't steal from these people. I think we need more good outside anger and less inside bad anger. Look at the Old Testament. I showed you examples of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the people were the dumbest people in the whole wide world. Every time God did something for them, they couldn't, they couldn't figure it out. And they kept cycle after time, after time, after time, after time, they kept messing up and messing up. And God says, I'm so angry with this people. And then what does he do after that? Okay, one more chance. And I'm angry with these people. And these people are stiff-necked people. Okay, I'll fine, that's fine. I'll send you Moses to help you out. Okay, that's fine. I'll help you out. One more chance. One more chance. One more chance. Do you see the difference between inside and outside anger? Inside anger would say, I'm not giving these people nothing. And inside anger would, okay, but But outside anger says, what you did is wrong. But because I'm merciful, I will forgive. And I will send my son. And he's your chance. And he's your ticket to get forgiveness for all this stuff. But you better obey him. Because if you don't obey him, you're in trouble. See how outside anger versus inside anger? 
We need to learn how to do good on the outside, not an explosive, not in a violent way, but I'm saying in an expressing, so we keep the inside clean. That's what Jesus taught us. There's a verse that St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, where he says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin shows that you can get angry and it doesn't mean it's necessarily sin. It's all about how you choose to express it. Let's be honest. Some of us have anger problems, for sure. That's not what I'm talking about right now. I'm not talking about the people that you think I'm talking about when I say anger problems. You we think the yellers have anger problems, but you know the difference between the yeller and the rest of us is they know they have an anger problem. So let's leave them alone because they're at least cognizant of it and many of them are taking steps. So let's leave them alone. Let's, let's pick on the people who have an anger problem but don't want to do anything about it. I think the term is passive aggressive. And those are the people. And some of us are very good at this, at being angry on the inside, but we will never admit it on the outside. And we will never do anything where anyone can accuse of. What we do is we just take little jabs, little shots, little, little comments here and there. Oh, well, you know, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh you fight, oh okay. Yeah. And what we do is just a little shot, little jab. And then it says you're angry. No, I'm not angry. Because the key rule being a passive aggressive is never admit that you're actually angry. Because then the game ends. But we know how to be critical just where it hurts just enough. And we know how to take a little jab and then back away. We know how to throw a little dart and turn around and be like. And I'm sorry to say, but some of us, I'm going to speak specifically in marriage, especially where I see this. Some of us have a spouse who has an outside anger problem, and it's our fault for pushing all their buttons because we do it intentionally sometimes. That's not me. I'm not justifying the outside. Don't. But all I'm saying is we got to be honest. And we got to see that the inside anger is just as dangerous, if not more, than the outside. And that's what Jesus teaches us. Right, right, right here. Matthew chapter 5. The same passage, okay, this is Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talked about lust, talked about anger. And he said about how lust, okay, it's not just the outside lust of adultery. It's if it's inside lust, it's the same to me. And then he says the same thing about anger here. Says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder outside. But I tell you, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. That's the outside. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the same judgment. He's not justifying the outside murder. He's saying, yes, the outside, that's bad. But the inside is just as bad. That's what he did with the lust. That's what I'm saying. He said, those who, who commit adultery, that's bad. And they know that's bad. But I'm saying he who does the inside lust is just as bad as the outside. Because for God, there's no difference, whether it's inside or outside. The difference is for us. The inside is hidden, and that's why it's that much more dangerous. St. John Chrysostom, one of the great church fathers, speaking about this passage, said the following. He said, Christ does not speak about the anger of the flesh when he's saying whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of judgment. Because St. John Chrysostom was one of the guys who used to advocate you know, justice and, and fighting for the poor and for those who, the, who don't have a voice to speak up for himself. So he's not saying that Christ is saying, don't be angry against injustice. He's saying, Christ does not speak of anger of the flesh, but anger of the heart. For the flesh cannot be so disciplined as to not feel passion. When then a man is angry, listen, when then a man is angry, but refrains from doing what his anger prompts him, his flesh is angry, but his heart is free from anger. That's what we want. We want to speak out against injustice. We want to stand up for ourselves and what's right. 
without building up grudges and hatred for those who are perpetrating. We have to learn how to be angry on the outside, not on the inside. Now, how do we do that? Here's, here's what I, well, I'll offer to you. And I've spoken about this before, but I think it's such an important topic that it bears repeating. Anytime there's inside anger, what's the root of it? What's the root of why that person drives you crazy? Like, why can't you get past what happened with your dad? Why can't you get past what happened with your sister? Why can't you get past what your coworker or what this girl did to you in seventh grade? Why can't you get past that? Anger at its root comes down to one thing. It comes down to you owe me. That's what anger is. You owe me. Huffing and puffing and screaming and shouting and ranting and raving. Boil it down, distill it down. What's at the root of it? Why are you so angry with what happened at work? Because they took something from me. What'd they take? My career. My dad took my childhood. He didn't have a right to do that. He took my childhood. That person who cheated on me took away my dream of happily ever after. They took something from me. They owe me. That's why when we're angry, we use the expression, we want to get even. They took something from me. I need to take something from them because they owe me. They owe me some amount. You show me an angry person and I will show you a person who feels that someone owes him something. Now, here's the problem. For most debts, they cannot actually be paid back. So this puts us in a dilemma. Like I said, your father, whatever, your parents divorced when you were young. They took away your childhood that you deserved. You can never have that back. You can never have that back. Like that's gone. Whatever, you know, happened to you with a brother or a sister or someone talked bad about you, took away your reputation. You can never have that back. Like once it's out, it's out. There's no actual way to pay back. So here's the problem. When you have this, you owe me mentality. The more you obsess about what was taken from you, the more actually you hurt yourself. Because when you obsess about it and you think about it, that person owes me, that person owes me, that person owes me. You know what's happening as I'm thinking that? As actually I'm recreating the pain of the original event. So the more I think about that person betrayed me, so that person owes me, I feel the same pain as when it actually happened. And I would say, in fact, even more. So you live as a puppet, as a slave to a pain that may have happened years and years and years ago. What's the solution? You know what I tell people sometimes when I see people in this situation? And, and some of the stuff I say, you may say, like, that's insensitive, but I wouldn't say this to the person upon first meeting them. Like, hi, my name is Father Anthony. And like, so when we have a relationship and, I, and I have, we have some trust, I would say to them, you know what? You're angry at this person. They owe you. Okay, you're right. How long are you going to continue to wait for some payback? Like, you, like, like here's my calendar. Like, let's choose a date. Like, you're living a miserable life right now. And everyone around you sees the misery that you're in and doesn't want to be around you because all you think about is the grudge and the resentment. Let's choose a date on the calendar because really there's nothing anybody can do except you to say when this goes out of my life. You choose. Show me on the calendar. I'm going to be a bitter person until... We don't want to be those people where anger characterizes us. So the only solution, if you owe me and can't be paid back, The only solution is forgive. 
It's something you have to do. It's something you're the only one who can do. And again, I've, like I said, I'm talking I've abuse. I've seen, you know, infidelity, stealing, like reputation. And I say forgive. Father Anthony, don't ask me to forgive. That's the one thing I can't do. Like ask me to go to church more, pray more. Okay, but don't ask me to forgive. Don't ask me to forgive. You're saying that I have to just let them get away with it? Somehow we feel like if I'm not angry, they get away with it. Like someone did something to me and I have to be angry so they don't get away with it. Look here, they're already gotten away with it. They are living on the other side of the world. They, for all you know, could have repented, could have joined the monastery, and they're right now at the top of the monastery with the angels and the saints and all. They, they're gone. Like, forget about them. It's not a matter of if I'm angry, they don't get away with it. If I'm angry, I don't get away from it. I'm the one who's stuck with it, not them. They're gone. Anyone who thinks this way doesn't understand what I mean by forgiveness. You think that I'm saying forgive for their sake. I don't care about them. I'm saying they already hurt you. Why you let them hurt you again? Someone hurt you in third grade. You gonna let them hurt you again today and tomorrow and the next day? Like how long are you gonna let them dictate your life? What we need to do is we need freedom and freedom comes from forgiveness. We're gonna read a parable right now from Matthew chapter 18. Okay, we're gonna go through it kind of quick. It's kind of a long parable, but it's a great parable and it's super easy to understand and it really makes this point so well. It starts off with Peter, close disciple of Jesus, coming and asking him a question. Matthew 18, 21. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And you gotta get kind of like the way Peter was asking this. Peter was asking kind of like a braggadocious kind of a way. Like, here, Lord, my sinful brother, this pagan heathen guy right here, and he keeps sinning against me because I'm the righteous one. How long shall I forgive him? Seven? And he's thinking Jesus would say like, oh, seven, wow, Peter, woof. Like, and Jesus, as he always does, well, I got a better one for you, Peter. I don't say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. And Peter's just went kind of. And then Jesus tells him a story. And this point of the story is to explain to Peter and to us that Peter, when you forgive your brother, you're not doing them a favor. You are doing yourself a favor. It's not for their sake. It's for your own sake. He says this parable. We'll go through it kind of quick. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and that all that he had and that payment be made. Man comes to him, owed his lot of money, and he says, sell him and his wife and children. You say, that's cruel. That's actually not cruel. That was the law, okay? And you could think about it kind of in a modern way where if, for example, like if I owe money and I can't pay it back, they would garnish my wages. They would, they would get the money from me. So that's basically what they would do back then. They would sell me as a slave, okay? And that money, because I owe the money. So this is not cruel. What the king is doing here is not cruel. It's actually by the law. And everyone listened to this and said, yes, that's the right thing. You sell him and you make your money back. But the servant therefore fell down before him saying, master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him, key word, forgave the debt. He deserved to be sold. That was rightful. The king wasn't doing anything wrong. He did the only thing he could do, which is beg for mercy. And the master said, fine, 
you don't owe me anymore. You owe me $10,000? You don't owe me anymore. I canceled the debt. Whatever you owed me, no more. Not that I forgot. Not that like, oh wait, did, it, did you really owe me? No, I know exactly what you owe me and I am willing to cancel it. Story goes on. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Okay, denarii, think of it like cents and you can think of talents like dollars. So $10,000 versus uh, 100, 100 cents here, something small, small amount. Who owed him 100 denarii and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. This guy wastes no time. Took him by the throat. Pay me what you owe. Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Now pause the story right there. The people who are listening to this story are thinking to themselves, what are the odds? Like what are the odds that one servant gets forgiven 10,000 talents, walks out the door, and then the guy who owes him the 100 bucks? What are the odds of that? But this is perfectly set up to be like, you know what? Monkey see, monkey do. Like as done to you, like this is perfect, perfect timing. Like had this been before, like this is perfect timing. But he would not. But he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now again, this is the important part. What he did was right or wrong. What he did by the law was right. If you owe a debt and you can't pay it, this was the lawful thing to do, put him in jail. So no one is saying, you don't have a right to hold this person accountable. You don't have a right, they didn't do anything to you. No, he had the right. But in the context of the story, it, it doesn't, the action doesn't make sense. Given what you were forgiven, it doesn't make sense, but you have the right to say, pay me the debt. Next verse. When his fellow servants who saw the context, saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And everyone listening to the story is thinking, yes, absolutely, you should have. What are you, an idiot? Like you just got forgiven 10,000 talents and then you went out and made a big deal about the 100 denarii? Like, are you dumb? Are you blind? Don't you realize if the master knows this, he's gonna go crazy on you? Like this makes total sense. Verse 34. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Everyone heard this story. Everyone nodded and said, yes, that's a good story. And then Jesus gave the zinger. Jesus always gives a zinger. He never just tells a story that ends happily ever after. There's always a zinger at the end. Ready for the zinger? So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother trespass. This was all to answer Peter's question. How often should I forgive? How often should I forgive? How often should I forgive? Jesus says it right here. Each of you from his heart does not forgive your brother. The story had three people. Had a king, first servant, second servant. Who's the king? Who's the king? God. Who's the first servant? Anyone who owes a debt to the king. Anyone who owes a debt and needs forgiveness from God. Insert all of us. 
The first servant is anyone who owes a debt and cannot pay it to the father, to God, to the king. And that's all of us. Who's the second servant? Anyone who owes me anything. Those are the only three characters. There's God. There's anyone who owes God anything, been forgiven. And there's anyone who owes anything to anyone who's been forgiven. Those are the only three characters. But my boss is a real jerk. He's got to be one of the three. But you don't know what my mom did. She's, she's either... There's only three characters in the story. Don't tell me your exception. And don't tell me whatever situation. There's only three people in the story. There's God, anyone forgiven by God, and anyone who owes something to someone who's been forgiven by God. And the answer is this. So my heavenly father also will do to you each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. Definition based on that story of what does forgive mean. It doesn't mean forget, but it means cancel the debt. Cancel the debt. Cancel the debt. But they embarrassed me. Cancel the debt. But they took from me. Cancel the debt. But they stole this from me. Cancel the debt. Not forget the debt. Not say nothing happened. Not say, let bygones be bygones. To say, you took this from me and you hurt me and that wasn't right. But from this day forward, you don't owe me anymore. I'm gonna stop waiting for payback. No more payback. I'm moving on. I've been forgiven a debt and I'm gonna let go of this debt. Now, I wanna make that very practical. Okay, because I understand that the words that I just say right there, some of you are thinking, what a terrible thing to say. You go to a victim of abuse and you say that, how insensitive, how rude. You're, you're saying that, that God's gonna punish her. God's gonna punish her if she doesn't forgive someone. Listen, I'm not saying God is gonna punish anybody. I'm saying you're punishing yourself. I'm not saying God is gonna punish you if you don't forgive. I'm saying you are punishing yourself. I'm not saying that it's wrong to not forgive. I'm saying it's destructive to not forgive. I'm saying if you want to destroy your life, the fastest way to self-destruct your relationships, your marriage, everything that's valuable to your eternal life, the fastest way to self-destruct is hold on to bitterness, grudges, and resentment. The fastest way to destroy your life is to hold on to bitterness, grudges, and resentment. I wanna say right now, a four-step process. And I'm gonna go through this quickly and I always share about this in membership group, okay, kind of this topic about forgiveness. Okay, anyone's going through the membership group here at STSA, I always talk about this because I think it's that important, okay? And you may not know all that you need to know, and you may not be doing this, you may not be, but you got to be forgiving to be a part of the church. That, 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 that's number one, to be part of God's family. So I always talk about this, and I want to say four quick steps. And I'm going to go through them quickly, but I want to say right off the bat, this is not a, this is not a like two-minute thing. Like, I'll give you the steps that hopefully you can take, and you may have to work through this over the course of weeks, months, like, whatever. And I want to say right off the bat, I'm here to help. Consider me a resource. Not that I'm somebody who's got this thing perfected, but sometimes there's kind of strength when we do it together. So I want to throw it out to you, but I want to say if this kind of, like, lands and makes everything, and you, Father Anthony, you unearthed a bunch of stuff, hey, let, let, let's relax, let's sit together, and let's work our way through this because it's that important. So I'm going to go through the steps right now. And I'm going to tell you probably the opposite of what you always thought of how to forgive. Because usually we think of how to forgive as just walk away from it and let it go. And I'm saying the exact opposite. I'm saying, actually, let's go head first into it. Let's stop beating around the bush and dancing and pretending it didn't exist. 
I'd actually want to face what, what happened to me and what I feel is owed to me. Here's the four steps. Number one, identify who you're angry with. Identify who you're angry with. The decision to forgive is not a decision to forget. It's a decision to cancel. So the only way you can cancel a debt, and think, by the way, think in terms of like banks use the same term, terminology. There's a debt, and the debt can be forgiven. There's debt forgiveness. So the way a bank forgives a debt or forgives a loan is not by saying, uh, I don't know about any loan. I never heard of a loan. That's not what a bank does. What they say is you, you borrowed X amount on this day. You owe this amount. I forgive the debt. Boom. They face it head on. So the starting point is you identify who you're angry with. And you got to be honest. And you may not have yelled at this person. You may love this person. You may love this person, but you're angry with this person. You hold a grudge against this person. You're bitter against this person because it's something that they may have taken from you. So ask yourself, who is it that you're angry with? Who is it that something when the name mentions, who is it that you don't even want to see them sometimes? Who is it that gets the worst of you, the little jabs? And you know what? This could be someone who's not even alive right now. This could be a parent or a grandparent or an uncle. This could be a priest. This could be anybody. Identify who you're angry with. Number two, and again, I'm moving quickly just for the sake of time. Determine what they owe you. Determine what they owe you. Determine exactly what was taken from you. General forgiveness doesn't solve specific hurts. They don't just say, yes, Father, anything's right. I forgive everyone everything they've ever done to me. That's a person who will never find healing. I want to identify this person and what they did, and I'm choosing to forgive them for this specific debt or whatever amount it was. That's what the king did. The king didn't say, I forgive you in general. He knew exactly who took the money or who owed him what, he knew exactly the amount, and he said, this is what they owe. Third, cancel the debt. So-and-so took this amount or whatever it may be on this day, I choose to cancel the debt. Now, you know, those who know me, okay, I'm a, a, maybe I'm overly analytical and maybe I'm overly, like I like things structured and I like things, I like things on paper, I like things concrete. So I think you should actually write this down on paper. And I've encouraged people to do this and I know it sounds weird, but I would get a piece of paper and actually at the bottom of your handout, I put a sample prayer, okay, that you could fill in the blank, a sample writing that you could put in there. Say, you know what? So-and-so and you fill in the blank, stole this from me, owes me this, and on this day, May 13, 2018, I canceled it. They no longer owe me. Put it on a piece of paper. I like writing things down. And then what do you do with the piece of paper? I always tell this to people, and they say, then we burn the paper. I'm like, nope. We like to burn things in there. Okay, burn it, burn it. No, no, not burn it. Don't burn it. Nail it to the cross. Okay, like that's nice symbolically, but I think this has much, this paper has more value in your desk drawer. Keep it in your nightstand. Somewhere that, not on top where you look at it all the time, but it's there in case you need it. You know why? Because of number four. You're gonna need that piece of paper for number four. Dismiss the case. Look, if you go to court and I have a piece of paper that says, my, this, my bank is suing me, say, you owe us this amount on the house. I said, no, 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 look here, I got a piece of paper that says on this day, you forgave the debt. Can they try my case? Can't. Say, I'm sorry, sir, you're right. 
he actually does owe you, and he even admitted he never paid you back. But you signed a piece of paper that said, this case has been dismissed. We gotta throw this case out of court. And I think that piece of paper is gonna come in handy down the road, because here's what's not gonna happen. You're not gonna today say, I forgive some, I've been holding a grudge for 30 years, and on May 13th, I forgive them, and it's just, poop out of my mind forever. You know what's gonna happen? The second you do that, the next day, next day, the feelings are gonna come back, the thoughts and the memories are gonna come back. And you're gonna say, but how could I? And how could they? And, 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 and. And you're gonna think, you're gonna be tempted to think, and come back to Father Anthony, say, Father Anthony, I forgave, I tried, but the thoughts came back, so I guess I didn't forgive. No, 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 son. Who told you that forgetting and forgiving are the same? I'm telling you, in fact, I am promising you that the longer you've had the grudge, and then today you forgive, I'm promising you the feelings will come back. The memories will come back. It'll all come back. But then you're going to hold up a piece of paper that says, I forgave this debt. I no longer have the right to collect on it. The case has been dismissed. And every time, 10 years down the road, I say, but I can't deal with this person because they did this. You pull out this piece of paper. Say, yes, they did. They committed this crime. But I forgave. I no longer have the right to try them for this crime. You know, when Jesus nailed to the cross, very end, he said, it is finished, right? It's the second to last thing that Jesus said. He said, it is finished. And you know, it is finished. It's actually one word. And it's a word, why I like the paper. Back in the day, in the first century, in, in the Jewish society, if someone went to prison, okay, you were tried at a court, and then you were given a sentence, okay, that says, you know, 30 days in prison for stealing, you know, a uh, goat. And then you had this piece of paper, and then you gave it to the guy, the warden, and you sat in prison for 30 days, and then you got out, and they stamped it with one word. Okay, and that word is, it is finished. They stamped it. So someone would say, hey, don't, uh, he belongs in jail. You say, nope. I got a piece of paper that says, it is finished. And someone say, no, you don't, don't, don't let him marry your daughter because he did whatever. Nope, it is finished. Can't be tried for this crime ever again. It is finished. And when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, what he did right here is he said, you you, 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 you no longer owe me anything. It is finished. But I lied. It is finished. But I stole. It is finished. But I get bad thoughts. It is finished. And add up all the lists. And Jesus said, it is finished. I think that when Jesus is on the cross, I think when Peter heard this story, he's probably thinking to himself, like Jesus is being a little extreme right here. Like Jesus is being a little bit unpractical, impractical. And then I think when Jesus was on the cross and he heard, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I think Peter, I think it clicked. I think Peter heard this, and he went back to that parable. He said, ah, oh, now I get it. Now the parable makes sense. It didn't make sense before, because who could forgive such an enormous amount? But now it makes sense. That Jesus truly has forgiven us of all our debts. Then he thought back. Maybe that's why Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, forgive us our debts. Trespasses, same word as debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. In the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels 
like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness makes a lot more sense. And I'll close by saying this. Anyone unwilling to forgive is usually thinking of what was done to them versus for them. And my challenge to you as we move forward in a life of kindness, not just a day or a week or 30 days, is to think more about what was done to you, I'm sorry, for you, less what was done to you. Me personally, I don't have the right to hold anything over anybody because I've been forgiven a lot. I know the stuff that I've done. And I know that I have been forgiven of a debt which is greater than can ever, ever be forgiven. I know that personally for a fact. You can ask my father of confession if you don't believe. I don't have the right to hold anything over anybody's head. Not after what was done for me. Not after what was given for me. Not after how unworthy I was of that forgiveness. I don't have the right. And it's my prayer that all of us would have that same mentality and would realize that your cruelest enemy, your cruelest enemy, I promise you, cannot hurt you the way you can hurt yourself by not forgiving. The person who hurt you the most, the most, the most, I promise you, you hurt yourself much more by holding on to it. We need to be able to say inside, we need to be able to say, Father, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses the same way we forgive others who trespassed against us. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. No words can express, Lord, how eternally indebted and grateful we are for the forgiveness that you offer us so freely. Thank you, Lord, that you don't judge us according to the stupid things that we've done and all the times that we've been so foolish and sinned against you. Thank you that your forgiveness is given so freely for anyone who comes and desires it and repents. Your forgiveness is so freely given. Thank you for that, Lord. Help us to be the same way with our forgiveness. Lord, some people today are in bondage to bitterness, and I'm praying today that you would touch their hearts. Not remove their memories, Lord, but touch their hearts and help each person to truly walk away, let go, cancel whatever debt is keeping them in the bondage and in this prison. Not because the, the perpetrator deserves it, Lord, because they deserve the freedom that comes with forgiveness. Pray these things in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all of your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.